Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And uh, man, just thankful for a church and leaning into worship. Um, you guys were dialed in on those last two songs, okay? Like uh, excited about worship. You can clap if you want to, okay, at any point. It's, 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 the, it's the half clap thing. We joke, around, we joke around all the time on our team. And I just want to encourage you guys, like not only in worship, but, but also in, in the preaching of the word. I think there's sometimes when, when I, I think God just wants us to respond, right? And, uh, and so I think whether it's in worship and you want to raise your hands or close your eyes or kneel or you know, bow your head or in worship, in, in the word, if you just want to be like, amen. And that is encouraging to my soul. It's, it's not something that the preacher that stands in front of you needs, but it's something that I love to see from God's people as we reflect on the truth of God's word and apply it to our hearts, right? And I'm excited. I love the opportunity to, um, uh, to teach and lead here at Christ Church. And I'm glad you're here this morning. And um, honestly, just uh, overwhelmed uh, regularly by um, what God is doing in and through our church. And uh, it is a joy um, to be able to serve in this role that I have here. And um, this series that we're in has been um, honestly a, a deep encouragement to me and a reminder of, of why I love uh, Jesus, why I love uh, to work and serve in his kingdom. And uh, what we're trying to do in this series of Take Aim is just help you lock in at the center of discipleship, at the center of discipleship. Because we all know that it's so easy to get distracted, right? It, it's so easy to, to settle for, for less than what Christ offers. And I don't want that in my life and I don't want it in your life. And it's easy to be content and just get into these rhythms where we're content with religious activities and, and right beliefs and superficial relationships. And, and we're like, well, this is better than the world. But it's not the target. It's not the center. Jesus, regularly in my life, I'm convicted by the fact that Jesus always wants so much more for me and for you. And so if we want to experience the work of Christ, if we want to experience more of Christ as a disciple, you have to know the work of Christ. That's why this little sub-series within our bigger series, we started with draw near to Christ, now it's know the work of Christ. And so the first week we talked about a Christ my creator, then last week a Christ my victor, this week Christ my redeemer. It's the work of Christ seen everywhere throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, his work is on display, extending into our history and our world right up to now. God's still at work. In some ways we can understand and see it, in some ways it is still a mystery. But one of my favorite passages to, to, to demonstrate God's redemption is in Ephesians. So get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is a phenomenal letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus, modern day Turkey. And in this letter, uh, Paul really covers all sorts of relationships and things and realities around the gospel and salvation. And um, I'm only going to be able to just sort of whet your appetite for what Ephesians offers you. And if you're in that place where you're like, ah, I really want to pick a book to study that would benefit my heart and soul and my relationships, Ephesians. I'd start there. It's got so much for you. And highly recommend that you study and apply this letter to your life over time. It has been a blessing in my life. This morning we're going to be focused on Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10. Follow along with me as you read God's word. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's so much in this passage for you and for me. And the big idea this morning that I want us to kind of place over the top of this passage as a sort of a center is Christ, my Redeemer, delights in my transformation. He delights in it. He delights in it. It is in his heart to bless you by transforming you. He chose you, if your faith is in Christ, he chose you before the foundation of the world, a mystery that many have tried to wrap their head around and failed, but one we just know to be true. He he loves you so deeply that he adopted you, he redeems you by forgiving you, he lavishes you with grace, all a part of his purpose and plan to unite you to Christ. He delights in your transformation. And so this morning, kind of from this passage, I've got kind of four compelling pictures that sort of I see in this passage of the Redeemer's transforming work. Not just in this passage, just these words, but intended through the work of God and through relationship with Him and through the power of the Spirit that they actually can come alive in your life. They could be your reality, like they are mine, increasingly. Four compelling pictures. The first one is this. He invites you to spiritual blessing. I've told you again, uh, again and again in the past in messages, I want to reinforce it again this morning, when a word is seen multiple times, there is a message that God is trying to communicate. And blessing is all over verse 3, not to mention also again in verse 6 that we're going to talk about later. Blessing is found three times, featured three times in this verse, as an adjective, as a verb, and as a noun. So all the people who love English are like, yeah, I think he's covering all of the types of grammar. And those of you who don't like grammar are like, please move on to your next point, Pastor Brian. Just keep going. The message is clear, though. The disciples of Jesus Christ are are blessed by God. There's blessing. Blessing now is divine favor. If you want to understand the definition of that word, it's divine favor. It's acts of kindness from God to his people. It's acts of God Uh, Acts of kindness from God to his people. So what is the blessing? Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that, the idea there is so that, it's a purpose statement, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The spiritual blessing in the gospel, in redemption, is that God wants to transform you to be made more holy to be made like him so that you're blameless before him, not facing all of the weight and the 
the, the, the difficulty and the trials of guilt and shame, but to actually have that removed through the work of Christ. Amen? Like, it's so good. And, and, and yes, we're corrupted by, and marred by the fall, but, but God in his redemptive work is trying to make us holy and blameless to, to, to redeem us back to the image of God, his intention in our creation. And it is an awesome invitation. I don't know if you've ever gotten an invitation to something that like, like you, you couldn't afford or, or manage on your own in whatever way. Maybe it's uh, something that you needed or, or maybe it's an opportunity that you got to participate in and it was um, something of great value that was completely free. And Maybe you're thinking about some things, but as I thought about that in light of this passage, I thought, man, that's kind of hard to think up places where that's a reality, where there's no strings attached, where there's nothing to sort of sell you behind the, oh, I'd love to talk to you and meet you and invite you to this. There's no obligation. You're just invited to it just because someone loves you. It's actually extremely rare, sometimes even in our closest relationships, to love freely without anything desired in return. It's an invitation that blows you away. It's a gift out of a simple desire to, to, to bless you because someone loves you. This is the invitation of the gospel every single day. It's the invitation of the gospel every single day. It says here that the God of the universe chose you before the foundation of the world. This means that the invitation was printed, the intention was already there before any of this was formed. When the world was formless and all that existed was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their intention was that you would be chosen. One purpose of that choosing was to make you more like Jesus, to actually redeem your life. And all of his works are for this purpose. All of the, the, the redemptive history is moving in this direction. Because he knows that the greatest blessing that we can have as his creation is to be transformed and made holy and blameless before God. And the reason why it's such a tremendous blessing is because you cannot do it on your own, not one bit. It's a blessing because it was accomplished fully by Christ alone. It's a blessing because it aligns your life with the purpose of all creation to glorify God. It's a blessing because when you and I are made more holy, everyone around us is like, amen. It even extends outside of our own life. It's a blessing because when you're blameless, you're free from guilt and shame. Respond to the invitation this morning. Come and experience the blessing if you haven't yet. Or if you don't see it rightly, I pray that the work of God's Spirit would illuminate it for you. Christ, my Redeemer, delights in my transformation. He invites you to spiritual blessing. Then second, he initiates out of love. This passage is, if, if you're familiar with the work and the intention and the motivation of God's love, it's literally dripping with God's love. He, like I already said, he chose you before the foundation of the world. That is an unbelievable extent of love. He made, I, I think about this often, he made a decision to choose you and me. Like, he made a decision to choose you. That truth 
for so many people, not only in my own life, but in so many that I've known, it brings healing when you, like so many of us do often, we feel passed by or overlooked or rejected. That there's significance that's given to the fact that God chose you. He chose you. And, and at the end of verse six, you, you see this um, love reinforced. He says, when he gets there, he goes, in the praise of, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's a word. The word is a relatively rare. It's only used six times in the New Testament. And this refers to the unique nature of your relationship with God. It's, it's the state of being loved with great affection. I, I think sometimes we, we kind of have this idea of love that there's this kind of love that's very objective that I communicate that's like, I love you. And so because I love you, I do things, right? Some of you in the room are like, yeah, that's a bit incomplete. There's also some people that everything about love is just sort of, sort of ooey gooey Valentine's Day love. And you're like, you know what? I'd really just like like a firm, consistent commitment to that, not just a lot of emotion. God's love is perfect in both. It's perfect in both. Don't believe it's one or the other or you'll miss the beauty and the sensitivity and the affection when he says you are blessed in the beloved it's the state of being loved by God with great affection and yet with specific realities of what he did out of his love for you. He, he cares for you. And in the midst of this reality of what he's done and the affection of love, he holds us. He holds us in that. And some of you know that in this life, you have tasted a love that draws you near, both in an ability to care for you objectively and subjectively show affection and there's a place in the midst of that that you feel held, don't you? It's tremendously safe and good and a reflection of God's perfect love in that. To be loved, to, to be held in affection and care is a powerful experience. Uh, th think about it a little bit more with me with, with people in, in human relationships. Earlier in this service, you greeted one another. And in greeting one another, at first, you, you kind of respond with like maybe uh, just a hello, good to meet you, and just a nice, warm handshake. Some of you, even the handshake's a bit too much. You're just like, hello. A little nervous still, warming up. It's okay. Then you progress from like the handshake and the warm words to the, um, to the man hug. The man hug is like the the embrace, but not too much embracing, and the hit in the back, that's the limit of my affection, and then I'm out, okay? Don't want to get too close, still trying to navigate this affection thing, and, uh, and, and a little bit, of, little bit of being held, but again, not too much. Over time, though, there starts to become a genuine embrace with words of affection and value. And then when care is needed, we all know that we want to be around the person in the relationship where we can just be held. In, in those enduring relationships in my life, there's been moments when I've just needed to be held in the midst of trial and struggle 
and sometimes just in the midst of just a day. And, and to be drawn near and to find safety in that. And I've had opportunities in relationships that there's been enduring love in to be able to have opportunities in different seasons to just hold someone in the midst of great struggle and trial. Or just as a way of saying, I love you. In family relationships, being held should be a consistent a reality. But it's a struggle, isn't it? Because being held requires a level of vulnerability. Being held requires a level of trust. Being held requires a navigating the conflict that can so easily divide and separate. It, it requires you to work through issues. It requires um, both people to choose to be vulnerable. And you have to navigate through pain and hurt oftentimes to get to that sweet place. And that can be hard in human relationships. And some of us, because of the way that we have not experienced the richness and the depth of gospel relationships, even in our lives and our relationships, have not yet experienced some of that. And to that, I would just encourage you to continue to press in to what God teaches us here. Because here's the thing. God initiates into your life out of love. A love that wants to hold you in great affection and care. It's the nature of God towards you. Listen, he's never cold. He's never cold. He's always ready to embrace you. He's never satisfied with a man hug. Like, the issues that threaten to separate you or create distance are never on God. They're always on you. Maybe it's a, a wall that you've put up. Maybe it's a perspective that you've had wrongly of God. I want you to, I want you to, I want to challenge you to, to prayerfully ask, God, would you help me to be more vulnerable to your affection? It, what, what you're going to have to do to move that direction, you're going to have to bring your pain and hurt. You're going to have to bring your disappointment to God. You're going to have to open the word and let the message of God's love wash over your heart and life and, and, and fill in the places of deficiency. To, to, to literally to hug you and hold you close. Even this passage alone can hold you close. And listen, that will bring more satisfaction than any human relationship, even the best ones. Is this reality with God? It's part of the Redeemer's work of transformation. He initiates out of love. And so I want to stop before I go to the next point, and I want, I want you to see something. God's work of transformation does not start with, here's what's wrong in your life, here's what needs to change. That's a pragmatic, sort of very worldly, human-centric idea of transformation. Notice what God is doing. We're not even at the real transformation part. The transformation part, though, is for sure starting just by being in relationship with the God who initiates. He invites you to blessing. He initiates out of love. And then number three, he includes you in his family. It's right there in verse five. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. <laughs> if you want to know what your destiny was, is that for the follower of Jesus Christ, the one who's put their faith in Christ, that this was your destiny. It was his decision. The, 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 this, this truth that, that God would want to move towards us to literally adopt us should not be a surprise. As I was thinking about it this week, 
like, like I, out of his love, out of his desire to hold you in great affection and care, it had to lead to the fullest extent possible. Like, I think about this, I think, I've, I think I, for a long, long time, I think I thought about adoption as this sort of thing. It's like, oh man, that's so sweet, and it's awesome that God's inviting me into his family. But now I'm like, God could do nothing short of that. Because he declares his love for us, and he couldn't hold back the zeal of his love So he was like, what's the furthest extent to which I could love my creation is by actually, through the work of Christ and through their faith in me, that I'm actually adopting them into my family. Because God doesn't want to just like love you once and he doesn't want to love you occasionally. He doesn't want to love you around Christmas and Easter. He doesn't want to love you just on Sunday. He wants to love you in a permanent, ongoing, life-giving, beautiful relationship where you are his son and daughter. He just keeps drawing you further into relationship. Full access to him as a son or daughter of God. That is awesome. I can't talk about the work of Christ without highlighting that. Now, I know and I'm well aware of the fact that the mention of God as Father can be difficult for many. If, you're, if your perspective this morning of, of, a, of a father has been a messed up or, or is painfully incomplete or even painful because of the insufficient or or absent or negligent or abusive work of your earthly father or mother for that matter. Let me just let me just process with you for a moment because I think it requires some tenderness but also some clarity. First, if that's you this morning, like for I think all of us in some ways that's true. I just want you to know that you're seen. I, I want you, wherever, wherever that perspective or reality of your earthly parents, it has pain, I want you to bring your pain to God. I want you to bring your pain to God. Give yourself permission to grieve and process over time. See, God is patient and merciful with, with the doubt and the struggle and the insecurity caused by those wounds. Here's what I would implore you and encourage you in that, though. Move from God, move from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. Don't let your perspective of heaven be impacted by earth. Let your perspective of heaven impact your perspective of earth. Let me unpack that a bit. First, if we do this right, we know, I promise you, God wants to redeem in the work of redemption, in the work of transformation, he wants to redeem your perspective of father by perfectly fulfilling the role of father in your life. And so for that to happen, for us to look from heaven to earth and have a a, a right lens on our lives, first, recognize all earthly parents are insufficient and fall short. All of them. At their best, most holy moment, my greatest moments as a parent are because of, without question, because of the work of God in my life as father. On my own, I am a tremendous failure. 
in any relationship, especially one that has the weight of that. At their best, most holy, they are only blurry pictures of the beautiful nature of God. Any goodness that might come from your earthly parents, there should be an aspect that you go, that is only blurry compared to the reality of who God is as Father. And then finally this, I, I want you to to prayerfully consider that the move that God wants to make is to transfer the foundation of your hope and your trust and your security. Your hope, your trust, your security. And you're gonna move those from your earthly parents to your heavenly father. This will redeem both your relationship with God and your perspective and the weight that your earthly parents have in your life. He includes you in his family. He's invited you to move your foundation. And friends, I just encourage you to take him up on what he's offered. It might take you a while, but I promise that you can rest in his presence like you were safe there. I, I at times have, have been confused about God's purposes. There's times when I've fought and flailed underneath and been frustrated and angry and disappointed under the work of God as Father in my life. But I want you to know that there is no other place in this world that I could think about and imagine, have read about or considered or heard a testimony of somebody else that's safer than being under the refuge of my Father. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know if there was. I don't think there is because of God's redemptive work. Transfer your hope, trust, and security to your heavenly Father. One of the greatest works of redemption before God's concerned about the specific realities in your life that he wants to transform to be more like him, the first thing that he wants to do is, is literally center your life on your identity as a son or a daughter of God and him as father, as a good, good father. He is tender and loving, trust him. He is faithful and consistent, trust him. His discipline is always just and for your good, trust him. God's heart as father is on display in his work to redeem. Because God just doesn't want to have, like I feel like sometimes earthly parents are just trying to have right relationship with their children and, and sometimes just awkward and feeling all the realities of guilt and shame around. It just makes it all sort of a mess to navigate through. And God's just like, hey, I'm perfect. You're not. Come to me. I want to redeem your life. I want to transform you. And one of the most beautiful parts of redemption is learning to trust, identify, and live into the reality of God as Father. And even getting to a place that I think is so delightful where you just are rejoicing in the fact that he included you in his family. Just that simple joy. He includes you in his family. Christ, my redeemer, delights in my transformation. Then finally this, he immerses you in his transforming grace. So often, uh, this passage has meant so much to me because of that word lavished. Sits right there in verse eight. And I want you to see the, the, the work of his transforming grace. 
if you look at it, it's, it's, it's statement after statement after statement in this passage. See it for yourself. It starts in verse 7. In him we have redemption. There it is. We have redemption. It is available to us. It is an opportunity for us to literally be immersed into this redemption, to be transformed by his grace. And look what it says. Through his blood, that's the work of Jesus on the cross. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The, the literal, like I'm clean before God in regards to my sin, according to the riches of his grace. So, man, God, I'm so messed up. Riches of his grace. It's sufficient. There's never a point. There's no sin. There's no depth you can get in, in the wrong that you've done. And God's like, yeah, I kind of ran out of money to, to, to pay for that. There's, there's no extent. Which he lavished upon us. So he didn't just give us enough to cover the gap. He literally extended, overflowed beyond that in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. Thank you, Jesus. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. what's, What's the purpose? What's the end? Here it is. To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And there's the work of redemption. The meeting of heaven and earth, the work of God, to extend his redemption deeply into our lives. The work of redemption to unify your, your life in Christ. And so in this life, it's already begun if your faith is in Christ. Like the second you come to faith in Christ, there's like this move of redemption. He orients you in the lavished the, the, the way he's lavished us with grace, he literally immerses you into it through relationship with him. By drawing near to you and giving you access to him and calling you his son or daughter. But it's not going to be completed until Christ returns or until you die and meet with him. And in that moment, redemption will be complete and finished and done. But some of the beautiful realities of redemption will then be yours to fully enjoy for eternity. It's already but not yet. It's a taste but not the full meal. It's enough to captivate your heart and to cause you to want to be immersed in this transforming grace, but it's just a preview. You are blessed, you are chosen, you are loved, you are adopted, you are immersed in the grace of God. Because it's in that place where he transforms you. I love this idea of immersed. And um, one of the things I love about uh, Christmas, the holiday season, is how one of the beautiful gifts of, of, um, of the Christmas holiday is the way that, honestly, brilliantly, we have, um, we have taken a boring, relatively sort of tasteless snacks and we have chosen to immerse them in something gloriously sweet and delicious. Okay, you guys, you guys, know, you guys notice this? Like, we're really good at this around Christmas. Like, like for instance, this is a, a relatively boring pretzel. Okay, some of you are big pretzel fans. You're like, I'm so offended. I'm sorry. You can take it up with me after the service. It's a relatively tasteless, boring pretzel. Like, the pretzel finds great significance by what it's immersed in. Can we all agree? Yeah. Like, most people are like, yeah, if I like pretzels, I kind of like them a little bit, not too much. It's like, it's like kind of just kind of boring and tasteless. But if they get dipped in something, now you're like, give me pretzels. 
And we know around Christmas, one of the glorious works of redemption around Christmas that just showcases so much is when we take pretzels and we dip them in chocolate. Like, like, so last night when I went and got these pretzels, the, the bag that they're in at Meyer right now has like a Christmas sort of scene and a house around it. Like even the company that makes the pretzel knows that you don't really want the pretzel. You just want them around Christmas because of what you're going to dip them in and what you're going to immerse them in. Like they get it. And, and so we, they're gloriously sweet and delicious. And I cannot even start even though many of you want me to right now. Because I would be eating these for the rest of the service, and then we just have to like amen at the end. But uh, there's a purpose that many of you probably can already even think of where I'm going with this. Christ, your Redeemer, delights in your transformation. And, and honestly, by ourselves, because of the fall and sin, like we're kind of relatively dry and tasteless and oftentimes just kind of salty. And uh, there's two meanings for that. But God created you with a purpose. And he, and he wants to redeem you by, by immersing you in his transforming grace. It's a transforming grace that, 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 that honestly chocolate can only give you just a, a bit of sweetness. And there's a goodness even in uh, the fact that we can taste sweetness. I love that, particularly around Christmas. And then I have to like create some you know, New Year's resolutions to make up for whatever amount of the, I've consumed. And, uh, and, but here's the thing. God doesn't just want to like give you like a little dip and then out. He wants to immerse you in the work of his grace. He wants to immerse you in his transforming grace. He wants to cover you with it. And not just a touch of grace, but he lavishes you with grace. He soaks you in it. He wants you to remain there, completely immersed. And so the question that I was wrestling with at this point was, what immerses you in his transforming grace? And the answer is alluded to here, but I'm so thankful for what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, where he makes it so clear and I, like many of you, sometimes are just like, God, I'm, I, I need some help. Can you just make it really clear to me? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, because of the work of Christ, because of the work he lays predestined us and opens our eyes, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's it, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. There's the transformation. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Listen, listen, listen. All of transformation starts, continues, and ends in worship. It's, it's, it's this place we get to where we're just like, I am just beholding the work of God in Christ. And I'm overwhelmed by it. And it's both drawing me and inviting me near. It's holding me close. It's convicting and changing me. It's holding me throughout the transformation. It's empowering me for the work of God. It's changing my life and then empowering me for more work. See, it does not start with me going, I want to change my life to be made more like God. And then in my own efforts and work, I'm trying to achieve that. That's just putting religious language on, 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 on the sort of man-centered moves of transformation that keep people in cycles of need. But when you behold the glory of the Lord, 
you're encompassed by the work of God. And you're, and you're amazed by who he is and you're overwhelmed by your insufficiency, but gloriously held by his love and transformed and drawn to be more like him because of his affection for you. So how does it transform you? What does it actually look like in your life and in mine? Well, I was so helped by a sermon uh, by John Piper. He said that as you behold the glory of, of the Lord, that, that when you're immersed in it, when you're beholding God in all of his glory in these moments of worship, that God doesn't want to just happen in moments of your life, but a condition, a posture of your life. In those moments, he's working, his transforming grace is working in you to transform you from the outside in and the inside out. So let's break this down. First, outside in is a pursuing Christ-exalting truth. Pursue Christ-exalting truth. That's outside in. Outside in is when I'm reading God's word and I'm reflecting on the work of Christ, that that happened outside of me. I did nothing to cause that. Nothing to bring that about. And I'm taking what's outside and I'm bringing it now into my life. And I'm taking hold of that by faith. And I'm wanting to live into the reality of that. Then also, it's inside out. Inside out is praying for truth, embracing humility. It's, it's, it's praying that I, would, that I would know my need for God's grace, that it would soften the hardness of my heart. Anybody got some places in their heart that they need softened? I do. I do. Places that I can see and talk to you about, and there's places that I'm still blind to. And so in that, I want my heart to be softened and I want my eyes to be open to the glory of the work of Christ. And so in that, watch, this is how God actually holds us in and immerses us in this work of transforming grace. It's outside in and it's inside out. And in the midst of that, what's happening is if I would pivot that and start to pivot it vertical and horizontal, now there's a work from heaven to earth. It's the uniting that we see in this passage. And it's a work from earth to heaven and from heaven to earth. And in this beautiful reality, the disciple who's immersed in the transforming grace of God is simply doing these two things. Pursue plus pray equals behold. Pursue plus pray equals behold. So much depth, but also so much beautiful simplicity. Behold then leads to more pursuing and praying, which leads to consistent immersion, which transforms our lives all of it possible because of God's grace. He immerses you in his transforming grace. Christ, my redeemer, delights in my transformation. He invites you to spiritual blessing. He initiates out of love. He includes you in his family. He immerses you in his transforming grace. And so just like we've been doing um, in each of the kind of first four weeks of this series is we're gonna take communion together in just a few moments. And uh, as we turn to communion, what I want you to do is I want you to recognize that in communion, there is both an outside-in move and an inside-out move, isn't there? In a few moments, um, uh, the, the, the communion elements are going to be passed in the tray, and I want you to take hold of those. There's two cups stacked on top of one another, one symbolizing Christ's body given for you, the other one his blood poured out for you. If you're not a believer, please let the trays pass, and I would just encourage you to consider uh, how God might want to reveal himself to you and what we've talked about today, and you could put your faith in Christ for the first time this morning. And I would invite and encourage you to do that. 
But as the trays are passing, as you take hold of that, I want you to recognize what you're doing in communion. Because the reality of those symbols and what they represent, it's already been done for you. It's outside of you. And in communion, by faith, what you're doing by taking hold of what's outside is you're taking that and you're taking hold of that and you're going, I want that reality in my life. Active and working and changing me. And then in addition in communion, we're, we're coming before God and we're saying, God, there's some fallenness in me and some hardness to my heart and there's some sin. And I want to confess that because I want the inside of my life and my eyes and my heart to be open to what's outside and to reach out and take hold of that and apply it to my life. And so whether it's observing and thanking God for what's outside or asking for him to move in your heart as you hold on to the elements, I want you to process that and pray and seek God in that and talk to him about it. And then we'll take the elements together. The communion service can come forward now and as the, the band sings this song over us, let's take hold of communion. And let's find ourselves in communion, experiencing the symbols of what it means to be immersed in God's transforming grace. Let's do that now.